What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Man, we've got some awesome guests on for you today. My brothers in Christ, Bryson and Gage, and they are also brothers. Um, Gage is an awesome dude that I've been following on Instagram for a while. Puts out a ton of great content uh, about guns and hunting and fishing and uh Christ and all the things that we love here at 307 Project, and I've just been inspired, and I've gotten some good laughs and, and enjoyed following him, so he came out and uh, brought his big brother Bryson with him. Bryson is a missionary who has uh, just recently got back from the mission field in Kenya. He shares a lot about his testimony and about the work he is doing overseas and is about to move forward into doing and uh, it's just a really, really impactful, long-form, good conversational type of episode. So settle into this one, man. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Hoist. You guys know we just ran 24 hours straight on a treadmill. I got to put Hoist to the test, right? When you run for 24 hours straight, if you eat or drink something that is not good for you, your stomach will blow up. All right, and you will not be able to run anymore. I drank hoist for 24 hours, right? I had a bottle of hoist and a bottle of water. This was the the crucible. We love hoist. We've been using them for about a year. Uh, they make an awesome product. We love the taste. We know that it worked well, but to put it through this type of test just solidified my faith in the fact that the product they're putting out works, all right? It's easy on your stomach and actually hydrates you better than water. It has all the things that you need, that your body needs to keep going during times of distress and uncertainty. Yeah, that means when you're pushing yourself extremely hard physically. So if you hike, if you mountain bike, if you ultra run, if you sweat, if you work hard, which I hope you do, because if you don't, you're a freaking turd. You need to be doing one of those things at least, all right? Get you some daggone hoist. It works, period. And not to mention, they're awesome people that don't care. The company doesn't care that we love Jesus. The, the company doesn't hold, us against, uh, hold it against us that we like to shoot guns. Uh, the company actually likes all the same things we like. They're good people, man. So it, it, it makes a difference when you do business with companies like that, that are in alignment with good, wholesome, American, Christian morals, values, principles, and lifestyles, check them out at drinkhoist.com. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. So, here's Bryson and Gage. You know what, man? You need to get me a dedicated pen with my name on it. And you need to keep up with it <laughs> for me. Yeah. Uh, that way, have it sitting out whenever we're doing the podcast. Well, guys, welcome back to the 307 podcast. <laughs> now, look here, Gage. You're going to have to pull that mic on right up. Right there you right go. There. Right up to your mouth. That's exactly right. All right. So, uh, you have to talk into these things or they, they won't pick you up. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to the... 307 podcast we're glad you're here we got two special guests on for you today and uh we're going to talk about who knows what we're going to talk about i don't uh, i would like to know yeah well <laughs> um 
look, you can't you can't pre-plan good conversations. It's true. You just you just gotta you just gotta go with it, man. Yeah. Can I all right. Can I talk to the people about something real quick? Listeners, I want to talk to y'all about something. It is important for you to be on time. If you tell someone, I, I want you to know this. No, I'm being serious, man. I'm being serious. It is, it is important for you to hold yourself to a standard of being on time. When you tell someone that you're going to be somewhere or do something, you should be there and do what you said you were going to do. Come hell or high water. All right? And and let me tell you how to handle this. If if the water comes up and, and, and hell overtakes you and you just can't make it to, to wherever it is you said you were going to be, let me tell you what you need to do then. You need to call whoever it is that you're supposed to meet and you need to let them know that you're not going to be there on time. Okay? So I'm, going, I'm just helping y'all out in life here. Well, that guy let you know, man. He said he was stopping to get a snack and a drink. I, I'm, I'm really confused about how on earth people stay in business. I, the way that they, the way that people operate, I'm confused about how on earth they stay in business. I, it's confusing to me. Someone help me because I, I've had, I've had multiple interactions with companies that provide a product or a service over the course of the last week that are mind-boggling. Uh, the, the first one, the treadmills that we ran on, Trueform. Did they ever answer you? No. So the, these people call, we called us up and said, hey, wow, you're running 24 hours on, your, on, on our treadmills. We want to send one of our reps down. He's going to bring two treadmills for you guys to run on. He's going to set them up for you, and he's going to be there for the duration of, of, of the event in case you guys need any help with the product that we make. We're a treadmill maker. We want to be there. Okay? So we said, man, that's awesome. We'll see you guys. Here's where we're going to be. Here's what time we're going to be there. All right. True Form said, all right, we're going to be there. Well, come day of the race, I walk in. And Jeff, our, our, the gym owner, said, Trueform's not here. I can't get a hold of them. And they haven't called me to, to say why they're not here. They just completely ghosted us. I mean, what a, how do you expect to stay in business operating that way? You know, 20 years ago, before there was social media, before there were, were podcasts, before there were ways for us to interact and, and share our experiences with each other in, in, in a moment, I think businesses could get away with crap like that. But if you're a brand right now, if you have a brand or a business, uh, you need to understand you're not going to get away with that for very long because word travels fast in today's culture because of social media, because of how we're co uh, connected. So if you want to be a freaking turd, 
You can be a turd for, for a little bit, but word's going to get out that you're a freaking turd, and then nobody's going to help you. Don't be a turd. Yeah, don't be a turd. And the latest one happened today. I, I, I wrecked my Toyota. Y'all heard about it on the podcast a month ago. And I'm dealing with this daggone insurance company. And they have drugged this out for a month. And there was a dude supposed to come out and look at the truck from the insurance company today. Told me he'd be there at 11 o'clock. So guess what? I was ready, man. The dude finally showed up at like 1.30. Well, he was supposed to be there yesterday, wasn't he? Well, yeah. But he put, said he put bad. And that's another thing. <laughs> that's another thing. If you are not going to fulfill your obligation, take just take complete ownership of, of that. Do not try to make a freaking excuse. Even if you have a legitimate excuse, the person who was depending on you to be there does not care about your stinking excuse. They don't care. They just need to know you're not going to be there so that they can go on about their lives and restructure their day. So keep your freaking excuses to yourself because you are the only one who cares about your freaking excuses. Period. So if that's you and that happens and you think you have a valid excuse, just call the person up, the customer, the friend, the whoever it is, and just say, hey, man, I ain't going to make it. I take complete ownership of it. Sorry I'm late. I can be there at this time if you're available. That's it. That's all you need to say. So there's your daggone lesson. But then, for the finish week. the story, he, he was supposed to have been there today at 11. Yeah, and he didn't get there until like 1.30. Yeah. Yeah, and just act like there's nothing wrong with it, man. And he had a mask on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, man. I, it's just mind-boggling to me. I, I, don't, I don't understand. But anyways, hold yourself to a high standard. Your word is your bond. Come hell or high water, do your best to fulfill your obligations. And if you absolutely cannot take ownership of it, notify the person and, and make it right. Okay? I don't know. I don't know if y'all needed to hear that or not. It's just a, a friendly reminder from Chad. Light on the friendly. Yeah. Light on the friendly. <laughs> it's just a... Just a friendly reminder. What's up, Gage? Oh, not much. What's up, Bryson? What's going on? Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. These are your special guests today, Gage and Bryson. They drove Grizzles, all the way. aren't they? The Grizzles. Is that y'all's last name? Yeah. For real? Yeah. That's yeah. a pretty cool last name, man. <laughs> it is. That's a dang cool last name. Drove all the way from South Carolina mm -hmm. uh, to be on the 307 podcast. Thank you guys for making the yes, trip. Sir. That's awesome. Man, we had a good hunt this morning. Yeah, something died. <laughs> we had a dang good hunt this morning. Yeah. Man killed his first deer. Yeah, Gage did. That was really uh, cool. No, 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 no. <laughs> good job, Gage. I've, I've killed deer. We're proud of you, man. Real proud of you. You popped killing. your deer cherry this morning. <laughs> Bryson killed his first deer at 25 years old, man. Yeah, man, I'm an old man. Old man killing, killing little baby deer. So tell me about that hunt, man. How, how, what? I mean, how did, how'd you feel about that? I mean, cause to a lot of us, it's a big deal when you kill your first deer. Um, it's a big deal to me that you killed your first deer. 
I don't know if it's a big deal to you or not. You seem pretty, you seem pretty methodical about it. Yeah. But uh, how'd the hunt go, man? It was good, man. I I've done a lot of hunting, and I just don't really. We, me and Gage were talking about it last night, man. I just did. I never really enjoyed hunting. Just sitting in the stand, I felt like it was kind of boring, a little bit of a waste of time. I'm a really, really busy person. But you know, we did the walk hunt this morning. I'm real big into backpacking and enjoy walking through the woods. So it was a little bit more my speed for sure. We were just walking. We sat a couple times. We sit for a few minutes, hear stuff, get all excited, see it was a squirrel, get mad, and walk on. So was Gage like the hunt master? Was he yeah, like telling sure, you like sure. what to do, where to yeah, sit? Yeah, I'd like, put him on the hillside, set the gun down, then I'd go prop up in the oh, against the rock and take a nap while he's yeah. he's eyeballing the okay. terrain. Uh, so I, even while we were walking through the woods, he'd pull his pocket out and I'd hold on to his pocket and he'd <laughs> guide me, guide me through. He had a leash so, on you. Yes, yeah, so it was good. Uh, and actually, the deer, the deer that we shot, he just wanted to see the ridge line, so he walked up. He said, Bryson, there's a, there's a deer right there. I said, where? He said, it's right there in front of us. There's a good doe right there. I said, I don't see it. He handed me the gun. I looked through, and I, said, I still don't see it. He said, she's right there, Bryson. Hold on. So he was carrying the gun for you? He didn't even let you carry the <laughs> no, gun? No, man. He don't trust me. Well, that's gun. service yeah. right yeah, there. That's, that's, that's my gun. I had the backpack and the gun. I'm I'm the guy. He's just following along. So I was just, Boy. Yeah, it was, you know, all it cost me was to drive up here. I just had to do all the driving. But he's like, it's right there. He said, it's a good doe. Just shoot it. And about that time, I seen her head pop up. I said, she's a good one. He said, yeah. I said, boom. And shot her. I thought I missed her because right before I pulled the trigger, she turned. And, and I trust my shooting. I'm not the best shot, but I, I trust my shooting pretty good. So I knew I shot where I was aiming, but I thought she might have moved before before I got to her. And so we walked up there, found where, where she took off. And Gabe said, you wait right here so we have our starting point. And he walked down there and said, she's laying right here. I went down there. He said, you feel bad about it? I said, no, not really. And we, he made me drag her out by myself. That's See, that's the thing. Don't let him play you. <laughs> uh, he didn't do all the work. He made Look, me drag hey, out that's your myself. kill. That was your kill. You got to capture that's it and true. pull it out of there. Look, Gage toted that gun because if he were to see something that he wanted to shoot, <laughs> oh, I guarantee he would you. go ahead and take it <laughs> exactly. and be like, oh, man, you, I tried to hand you the gun. You wasn't close uh, enough. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he can't see deer in the woods. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let the Georgia State record go on by and just because he can't see it. That's exactly what Gage was doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he was popping up just look on that ridge to make sure there wasn't no monster buck standing yep. up there. When yeah. he seen that old doe, he said, all right, I'll hand this rifle off. I'll be generous off. on this yeah. one. How you like how Gage uh, helped Bryson clean that deer? He did. Yeah. He helped me a lot, man. That was real beneficial. <laughs> yeah. I thought. Hands in his pockets <laughs> and all. <laughs> I thought, dang, go, man. You just going to let your brother flounder here, man. It's different when it's a big brother. See, he should have taught me how to do that. But I went That's out and learned it, and now it's his turn. He's got to do it the same way I did. Look, Bryson, you might, maybe you already know this, but by you doing that, you're just making him a better teacher. That's so true. the things that you do are just to make him better, right? That, exactly. That's why you let him learn that so he could learn teaching, which is a more valuable <laughs> skill. Exactly. Honey. Well, he lost out on the opportunity this morning. Well, I know that's we what Bryson gave him the opportunity. And Gage didn't seize it. <laughs> we I had let to him carry the gun, man. I don't know what. I didn't it's know what my else gun. <laughs> we we got the deer back to the house and was up there on the hill and uh and and the deer's laying there and and I knew Br this is Bryce's first deer, so I knew he was gonna need a little help. You know <laughs> how to quarter this thing up and how to skin it. And I'm waiting for Gage to jump in and. Gage just standing around. I thought, well, dang, he ain't going to help him. 
ain't gonna help uh, It's hard to mess up meat. You know, you might nick a gut, which he did. He nicked the gut, but it's hard to mess it up. That's gonna be some good eating. That was good, man. That was good. It, they, hunt, ain't nothing sure. better than going out hunting with buddies. I mean, they ain't nothing better than going out and having a good hunt with friends. Yeah. Bryce and that them church shoes on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They look good, man. Those, yeah. Those are some red wings. Well, I'll tell you what. He drew blood, son. Classy. Yeah. Um. So, how, how I met Gage is uh, through social media. And a lot of y'all like to bash social media and you don't understand, you know, what it's what it's really made for. And it's actually a really good thing. Social media is a really good thing if you know how to wield it, right? And so that's how I, I, I saw Gage on social media. And, dude, everything that you put out was, like, either entertaining or it was informative. Um, your content is clean. It's good. And it's not just a bunch of bull crap. And you do a really good job at producing it. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And um, I was like, I got to get to know this dude. I got to get to know this dude. Because like we talked about last night, it's important for all of us, including you guys that are listening, uh, it's important for us to be in alliance with one another. It's important for us to know one another and to and to be in alliance with the right people, right? People that that are on kind of the same path that you're on. Because I have come to the realization in my life and did a long time ago that I can't and I will not accomplish anything on my own. You can only get so far if you think if you if you think that you're just the the stink man and you think that you're better than everybody else and you think that you know you're just going to blow it out by yourself without having the right people that you're aligned with and that you can and and that's a big message out there that's freaking preached right oh you can you can you don't need anybody right people are just going to let you down you don't need anybody right it's the whole yeah everybody knows who pushes messages like that and um it's a it's a load of freaking bull crap man it's important for us to be in alignment and to be in relationship with people who are headed the same direction that we're headed in because we're in a pretty unique time right now it's weird because You've got a lot of the old heads that have been kind of in the the podcasting, social media, um, teaching, I- inspiring. You got all the old heads that've been doing that for a lot of years, right? But they're getting freaking old, man. And we're in this time now. At least I see it to where we need new people that are going to step up to the plate and be the people who are willing to put themselves out there who are willing to do hard things that who are willing to challenge people around the world to be to be better inspire them to become better um give them give them pass along knowledge whatever it may be experience whatever it may be like i don't see a lot of new people coming up that are 
that are stepping up to the plate. You just you've got the same old people, and so I think Gage is one of the one of those guys that I think if you don't quit, Gage, I think you're going to be very successful. Well, I ain't planning on quitting. Yeah, I think you're going to be very successful in what you do, man. Um, why have you decided to go this route, man? Uh, I don't because you put yourself yeah. out there. I mean, I you do such a good job with your social media that I I felt like I could trust you having never met you before. And it's because you're so real. You can't fake being real. You can't fake it. You you can see it. When somebody's being real, and that's the right way to do social media. And, uh, and I felt like I knew you, and I was like, yeah, man, come out to the freaking house. We're going to hang out for a couple of days. And you're exactly who I expected you to be. Ex- you are exactly who you present yourself as on, a- on all your channels and everything that you do. That's how you know you're doing it right, man. Why'd you decide to do this? Uh, it started out, I was a like extremely shy person growing up to the point like if me and Bryson were in a room and he would leave the room and I was left there with a bunch of, even if it wasn't strangers, just not family, I mean, I would cry. Like, I was an extremely shy person. Somebody look at me, I get blood face. I mean, I'd, I, I, always, I, it was, I couldn't hardly do anything because I was so shy. So when I started, I created an Instagram and I'd post pictures and it, my confidence started kind of boosting. So then I was like, well, you know, there's all these YouTubers out there. They talk about how hard it is to talk to a camera. And I was like, well, I, you know, I wouldn't mind doing YouTube at some point. So I'm going to start doing videos on Instagram, getting used to talking to a camera and here we are. I found a little bit of success with it. I'm not much. I'm not at what two thousand followers on Instagram, but I feel like I'm gaining some ground now. And I've built up people. I've got people that message me on the daily basis that I've never even met, and they're asking me questions. And I feel like I'm starting to see the benefits of social media. I'm connecting with like-minded people that are asking me questions, and I don't feel like I'm worthy to answer them. But they see something in me, and they think my opinion's worth something. Um, I want to hit something on what you just said right there. When it comes to building your brand and when it comes to helping others, success is not measured in the numbers. I, I, I mean, it's, it's really not. Like, the, the success is measured in reaching the right people, which I think you're, you're doing. You're reaching the right people. Guys like guys like me, guys like you were telling me last night that that you've been in contact with that are are in in the same you know in the same type of areas that you like to operate within, and um, yeah, I I mean I would rather I, I would rather have interaction with two thousand of the right people than two million freaking bots, man. It's, it's, so that's been my experience. The numbers will come with time, right? But, um, you know, it's, a. it's, what, what is your, what, what's your goal with all of this? Like what, because you put a lot into this, which is a whole nother conversation. It's a huge sacrifice to make the decision. And I wish more Christians would do this. You know what I can't freaking stand? I can't stand a Christian with a private social media account. 
That pisses me <laughs> off, man. Because you know what? If you are a Christian, you have got something to share with the world. And you can have your little private social media account, but I should never see it because that can be just for you to post pictures of your kids and, and your family members can know what that account is. But every single follower of Christ should have a public social media account and you should be active. You should be interjecting yourself through the freaking airways of this world, spreading the message of the gospel. If you don't post anything else except for the message of the gospel presented in your own unique way and your own unique lifestyle, you have no freaking excuse, man. I cannot stand that. You know what? But everybody has a freaking excuse. Uh, I don't I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want people to know this about me and this and that. And screw you, man. You know what? You have a responsibility and you have a tool at your disposal to spread the gospel, to fulfill the great commission that was given to us, all of us, by Christ. And you, Christian, you're just going to daggone sit around and say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I've been called to do. You have a tool at your disposal that you could potentially reach millions of people, and you won't even access that, and it's free because you want to make excuses about not putting stuff out about your personal life. You will be held accountable for that. I believe that. And this is a tool that no other Christians in the past have had. Exactly. I would rather make an Instagram post than walk thousands of miles to go speak to a church. I mean, it is so easy to hop on there, make a quick post, and it's got the potential to be in front of millions of eyes all across the world. Yeah. Everybody's got social yeah. media. And, 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 and look, don't get corny with it. Like you, you can't, you can't pull your little, you can't pull your little slide off of something you found on Google that has a Bible verse and some freaking, you know, pretty picture behind it. No, man, ain't nobody going to see that, man. Ain't no, don't nobody care about that. I'm talking about influencing people through showing your lifestyle. Okay, tell me about that, Gage. All right, so that's in my Instagram bio, is influence through lifestyle. And it was one of those things I like to change up my bio every so often, just to kind of keep things fresh. And that was like the first thing that came to my mind, and now I've done kind of picked that up as a motto because I don't post one type of content. You know, I might post some gun stuff, might post something that's funny to make, make fun of the gun community just because they're easy to trigger. Um, I'll post some hunting stuff, some fishing stuff, hiking and then on top of that, I throw in scripture with it, and I, I'm not ashamed. I'll post stories and stuff where I'm playing guitar at different church events. And go. so I'm trying to show that you can be a Christian and have this awesome lifestyle. I consider what I live an alternative lifestyle to what everybody else is living. I don't, I've never had a legitimate job. Um, I was homeschooled. You know, you worked, I go, you worked in a food truck for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I worked in a taco <laughs> truck for two days. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so like I, I feel like I'm doing something different. I didn't go to college because I feel like everybody pushes at all these people that graduate high school, like go to college and get a degree because you're more desirable. Well, I know a lot of people that spend a lot of money on degrees and now they're working at a restaurant somewhere doing something that's got nothing to do with their degree and now they're $100,000 in debt. So people would ask me, are you going to college? If I find something that I want to do that a college degree is required for, but I'm not going to go to college just to go to college. Yep. And so I've started kind of finding some success with this social media thing and connecting with some really cool people. 
that other people would look at and say, wow, you know, they're living my dream. Yeah. Like, why don't you go live your dream? If I know this is what I want to do and I can make a living and get paid to do what I want to do and share it with other people, why would I not take the chance on trying that out? Yep. So take a lesson here, every one of you listening. I don't care how freaking old you are. I don't care how private you want to be. Well, first of all, you don't you don't have an excuse for your own privacy as a Christian. You you don't you 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 forfeited when when you decide to follow Christ, you forfeited your life. Your life is dedicated to serving Christ. And in serving Christ, that means influencing others. And how do you do that? You do that through your lifestyle. How does anybody see your lifestyle? Well, the people you're in community with can see your lifestyle, right? But you, you, why would you not go beyond that when it is available? Right? Um, dang, I was going to hit something else on what you just said. And I freaking, I should have wrote it down. So, Dude, this is important stuff. This is important stuff, all right? Oh, this is what I was going to say. Gage just hit on the college thing. This is something I've been wanting to tell y'all. For all you young people listening to this, I want you to hear what Gage just said because it is true. The co- the whole college, that that the whole, it's a, it's a, first of all, it's a freaking business, and it is a failing business, all right? That, that whole thing is, and here's a story I want to tell you. I need, we need, needed to hire a videographer to take on some, some projects. So I met a guy, young guy down here in town the other day at a film festival. And, um, I said, Hey man, I'd, I'd love to be able to hire you to, to do some editing work and, uh, you know, do some videography. And he said, all right, well, you know, everything I'm doing right now is just for the college. I'm going to school to be a videographer, but yeah, I'm really good at editing. I, I know how to do all that, and but but apparently he wants to keep going to school. And no wonder why the school wants to keep him on. He's working for the school for free. So the college is getting free promotion from him, basically saying, well, this is part of, this is your on-the-job training, right? You're going to create free content. For, for the college here. And so I was like, yeah, man, I want to hire you to do some stuff. And we agreed upon a price, good money, right? You're, you know, you're it, that, that takes, that's, that's a really specific skill and, and you should be paid for that. And, uh, so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get ready to send you over some content. He calls, he texts me back the next day and says, Hey man, I picked up another class this fall and at my college, and I'm not going to be able to do any work for you. And I'm like, dude, like, y'all get mad when I call people idiots on here. So I want I want to call this guy. I think Turk the is I a word. nice alternative. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, what the, what the crap, man? Like, you want to be a videographer, but you are going to remain a slave to your university, uh, Instead of actually going to do what it is you want, like you have an opportunity here. Like my, next year, I could be paying this dude a hundred thousand dollars a year, p- possibly, to freaking edit content. And you just want to throw that down the drain and remain a slave to this stupid system that's been built that society tells you 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 have to go and participate in this stupid freaking system. 
in order to be successful. It's bullcrap. The whole college thing, it's a failing, miserable, stupid thing. All right? We have something now called the internet. We have all <laughs> access to it. You can learn to do whatever it is you want to do, young person. You can learn to do it. All right? And when you first start out, you may have to do it for, for a while for free because you're probably going to suck. All right? But you got to get started doing it. You can learn along the way, and you don't need to pay a university to teach you. All you need to pay is your internet bill, <laughs> right? And that's about dang near for everything. I, I was talking to some, oh, I was talking to Chili the other day. He said, I guarantee you that I could, I could do enough research to go pass the bar exam to become a lawyer without going to law school. And I was like, no, you're exactly right. You, you really could. You really could do that. But the system's set up to where you're not allowed to do that. So I wanted to hit on that. Um, so, yeah, it's a big sacrifice to put yourself out there. And what, what's your ultimate goal with this, Gage? Uh, honestly, I haven't set a, necessarily a goal. I mean, you know, as Christians, we're called to disciple, um, to make disciples. And I think that should be all of our biggest goal. And so to me, that's all I'm looking at right now is to find people and show them, uh, almost disciple them in a way, in a lifestyle that's different than what, what the, the normal pe the normal people of society are pushing. You know, mm -hmm. show them that's that's not the way we're supposed to to be. I look at, at, at being a man. I take that serious. You know, I, I think that men have certain things they're supposed to do. It's not. I I do. I 100% believe in gender roles. I think that as men, we are called to be different. Then the women we're called to be protectors and providers, and created. To yeah, be. I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to do, and so everything I do is pretty much based around those two things. Whether that's fitness or shooting, to make sure that I'm prepared to handle a situation, uh, hunting and fishing, making sure that my skill set on providing food is there, and you know I'm ready if if the time comes that I have to rely on those skills. They're honed in to be able mm -hmm. to take care of me and anybody else I need to take care of. How did you learn to shoot? Because that's the first thing I asked you yeah, when, yeah, when, when I sent you a message. I said, who trained you? Um, well, it goes back to YouTube, the internet. Um, I got my first gun when I was four. My dad bought me a Henry 22 when I was four years old. And I'd sit in his lap and shoot at a sand bucket. And uh, I think I actually had, I had a 22 before I had a BB gun. And so growing up, you know, I'd, we'd shoot thousands and thousands of rounds. We'd buy the, the 7,000 round buckets of 22 ammo and we'd blow through that in a weekend. And from there, jumped on uh, the Xbox and got interested in like Call of Duty and all that kind of stuff. And that's where my gun passion kind of sparked from. And then from there is finding people that were doing what I wanted to do on the internet, asking them questions and getting them to... You know, I've got several people that when I first got into concealed carry, I would post videos dry firing and I would say, you know, critique me. Mm -hmm. And I had some pro shooters that would reach out and they were sending me personalized videos on the things that I was doing that weren't necessarily beneficial. They showed me how to be more efficient with my draw, where to grab my garment out to clear it. And so there's these people out there that are willing to give information for free if they see that you actually want the information. Yep. If you're actually seeking, I would... 
I would actually say critique me. I was looking for people to correct what I was doing because I wanted to be better. Mm-hmm. And over time, I mean, that's just that's that's how I'm here. You know, I, I've never taken a traditional class. That's something I would want to do, but money's tight. Um, but there are people out there that are willing to give out information for free, and it is is solid information. Mm-hmm. It comes from years and years of experience that they care enough about this newer generation. They care enough about helping people. They're willing to give it out for free, even though they could charge for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you do that, you have to you have to sift through the information that you're receiving, yeah, sure. right? And you have to look at the people who are critiquing you and make sure they have a credible background. And and that's not just special operations, like Gage said. That's that special operations does not have the best shooters in the world. Professional shooters out there, they they shoot circles around any special operator that's active duty or retired. I mean, these guys are off the freaking charts. But you have to look and make sure these people are credible that are giving you their opinions, and then you take those you take that on board, right? Because you're a good shooter, man. I mean, I watch you. Um, I've watched a lot of your stuff, and just you 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 look at the way somebody handles a weapon and that's really what you need like i don't need to see where you hit the target at i just need to see how you're handling the weapon right that's the main thing that you look for and um and you got that down pat man pretty freaking impressive (laughs) well we'll go out to the range one day though and we'll confirm all this because i want we better i want gauge to shoot the readiness standard (laughs) i really want to I really want to go head. To, that would make a good YouTube video. Yeah, we'll have to do that. I'll go head to head with you on that readiness standard test. Well, if we do that, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just some random twenty-one year old from Instagram. You're you're putting a lot on the line with that. He sounds confident. Uh, oh no, I got nothing to lose either. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, man. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, so one of the one of the biggest problems with making claims that you are the best, or you are the hardest, or you are the toughest, is uh, is it creates an environment where you do have a lot to lose, right? Because you start pinning these titles to yourself, and then you have to toe the line, right? And then what ends up happening? as you're only going to enter into competition with people that you know you can beat so that you can keep that title, right? And then guess what ends up happening? You never get better. You never get better, you know? That was like the live treadmill race. Like, I'm willing to put myself out there in front of freaking everybody and anybody, the whole entire world, and I'm willing to get my freaking pee-pee stomped in the dirt. Uh <laughs> Because I ain't making these claims, dude. And I suggest you guys to do the freaking same. So, but I, I do think I'll beat you. <laughs> that being said. Might just have to go down there tomorrow. Maybe Blake will do some trick videography and <laughs> you know, speed up my times a little bit. I ain't been editing long enough. <laughs> I got you covered on that one. I can make it look like anything happened. So Bryson, I just met you yesterday, man. I, you know, when you, I wish you guys could see these guys, man. I wish, I wish we were filming this right we're now. Very handsome. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I could see these cats, dude. 
you know, I, I just met Bryson yesterday and man, he, he got out of the car and I was a little bit worried about this cat, son. <laughs> he, 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 he don't look like your, um, he don't look like your typical missionary. Does he Blake? No, no. I mean, now they wear church I, shoes hunting today. Yeah, so. yeah. He wore his church shoes, but there is this new age kind of look that he's got to him that that I could I could I could see it. What? What? I mean, what? What is your? What's your brand, Bryson? Isn't it like hippie hippie missionary or the something? The hippie missionary. The hippie missionary. The hippie missionary. Man, you fit that to a <laughs> T, man. Yeah. So if you if you guys if you ever met Bryson, you the last thing that you would think is that he has spent uh, the last little bit of his life over in uh, Africa uh, doing God's work, serving Christ and loving others and and uh, that he went to Bible college and that he preaches and that he knows the word and you you, you would not think that when you when you when you saw him the first time and I freaking love that man dude's covered in tattoos, got hair down to his belly button. I freaking love that dude so. I, I just got to ask you, Bryson, what what set you on the path that you're on, man? Because it's a very unique path, and I want to hear more about that path and exactly what you're doing here in a little bit. But what, what sets you on that course? For sure, man. Um, when I tell my story, most people think that I'm crazy. But I think to to be the one to go after what God has called you to do or what you feel your purpose is in life, you have to be crazy. People think Gage is crazy for not working in a plant and trying to get married right now and take that step. But five years down the road, you'll see where he's at and you'll understand why. Yeah. And for me, I was uh, I was 10 years old, man, and I went to a summer camp. It was a church camp. I never met a missionary before. I, hadn't, I didn't know what a missionary was. And we started praying one night in our dorm room. It was after church. And after the service, my camp counselor was just playing the guitar and singing some worship songs. And, man, the Holy Spirit just entered into the room. I, I was down on my knees crying and praying as a 10-year-old, man. I had never experienced mm. that. And I prayed and told God, I said, God, no matter what you want me to do, no matter where you want me to go, I'll go. And that was the first real prayer that I ever prayed in my life. It was the first prayer that I prayed and I meant it. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, God spoke to me. He said, you'll reach the nations. And since that moment, I've known that the Great Commission is my call. Mm. We were we were talking earlier, me and Blake, about how people will get so frustrated with you whenever you're not passionate about the same things that they are. People see me, and they see the long hair and the tattoos, and they see my passion, and they see me serving God, and the, everyone thinks that I would make the perfect youth pastor. Yeah. And whenever I turn down those jobs, they get really frustrated at me, and I've had people f fuss and say, how can you leave the youth here? to go work with youth and, and people in other countries. How can you leave the needy here to go and work with that? And I say, it's just not my call. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm, I'm not passionate about that. And just because you are passionate about it, doesn't make a, one of us wrong and one of us right. I just know what my call is. And I would like to say that I just chased after God with all that I had right after that moment, but I didn't, I actually didn't tell anybody about what God has spoken to me for the next seven years. Through that time, man, I was diagnosed with cancer. I was miraculously healed. Never went through treatment, anything. I had lymphoma cancer, big tumor removed out of my neck. Was diagnosed two weeks later. The doctor called me, couldn't even explain it. He said, we're looking at this. We can tell it's cancer. We know it's cancer. We can't find any cancer cells. Hmm. 
They don't, man. But the crazy thing is, during that time, I was never fearful. I never cried. Nothing. When they told me that I had cancer, the first question I asked is, "Am I going to lose my hair?" That's all I could, was concerned about because in my fourteen-year-old mind, I knew that God had told me that I was going to reach the nations, hmm. and that hadn't happened yet. And so I was like, "How can God tell me something that was so real and give me a promise of something that is going to happen?" And it hasn't happened yet, so how can this take me out? In my mind, I was invincible, man. Mm. I was like, I, this can't kill me because God has told I That's how sure I was. As a 14-year-old kid, that's how sure I was that God spoke to a 10-year-old boy in Malden, South Carolina, and told him that he was going to reach the nations. I was not afraid of cancer. The doctor called me back, told me my cancer was gone. Went on just doing my thing, being a typical teenage boy, running around out in the woods with Gage, shooting guns, playing, just... I mean, we lived an awesome childhood. We lived a childhood that people lived 40 and 50 years ago. Yeah. Just homeschooled, 27 acres. Our neighbors were homeschooled. They had 10 acres. We had dirt bikes, guns, just what every kid dreams of. But I started running from God when I was about 16, just rebellious, wanted to do my own thing, didn't really like what I seen in the church world, didn't feel like I fit in the church world. Um, but, man, I went to another another event. And a guy preached about knocking down the astral poles in your life, getting rid of the idols. Mm. And he had, who's I just preached for him like two weeks ago. He's a good friend now. His name is Neil DeBose. He's a pastor in Sumter, South Carolina. He was up on stage and they had a fake idol built. And he stood up there with an ax and the dude was preaching. He said, on the count of three, I want you to knock this. I want you to knock this idol down. And then we were up in the nosebleeds of this big convention center. And whenever Neil swung that ax, I watched the wind come come off the axe blade all the way across the whole crowd, up in the nosebleeds, and hit me in the chest. I mean, I felt it hit me. I came home, told everybody what I was called to do. Three months later, I was in Bible college. My plan before that was to be a whitewater rafting guide, live in a school bus, and hang out with dirty women. My dad told me, you, you just smoke pot and, and sleep with hairy girls if you do that lifestyle. I said, well, I, I'll just buy some razors and I'll be good to go. <laughs> Man, I, like, I, just, I had no plan. Like, I just wanted to be a hippie. And, uh, so, so what were those, those idols that you had during that time in your life? I mean, was it, was it just your own, was it self, was it selfishness? Like, was it, what, 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 what would you describe that as? Like, what was holding you back? Like, what did you have to get rid of in order to make that transition? Man, it's crazy. Like I never, people say every time someone like has a testimony like mine, I hear them say, I don't really have this crazy elaborate testimony, but I feel like living a pretty solid life and never being out of church or addicted to anything (laughs) until this day. I've never had a sip of alcohol. I've never done any kind of drug, like nothing. I've never touched any of it. And to me in this day and age, that's a pretty significant, pretty crazy life to live. Yeah. And so I never had like these big things in my life that I just felt like I had to, I had to break but I was so unsure of myself growing up. And so I always felt second best, mm-hmm. like at everything I did. I was never the worst, but I was never the best. And I just, I had this mindset, man. I was so sure of what God spoke to me that I, I knew that I believed it, but I knew that it was so powerful the moment that I spoke it myself to other people, they would believe it too. And so I knew the moment that I told people I was called to missions that it wouldn't just be real to me. It was real to everyone mm, around me. Yep. And I was like, I can hide it and run from it, even though I know it's real. But the moment everyone around me knows it's real, that's all she wrote. Yeah. Like, I'm all in. Yeah. And 
a pastor convinced me to go try Bible college for a semester. And I, like, I was not good in school, man. My mom, she homeschooled me, bless her heart. If she wouldn't have, I wouldn't have passed. Like, couldn't hardly learn how to read. I'm pretty sure I'm dyslexic and just didn't know it. Self-diagnosed, but words jump up on me and twist up and just really didn't do good through high school. But they convinced me to go to Bible college, and I was going to go for one semester to please everyone to say, I went to college. I did what you wanted me to do. It's not for me. And then four years later, I graduated with two bachelor's degrees. I was a valedictorian, student body president, just the best that I could be while I was there. What the crap? How did you, how did that happen? <laughs> Man, so I was supposed to go on a mission trip, my very first mission trip. And two weeks before we were supposed to fly out, I got a phone call and it got canceled. And this was like right at the start of my Bible college career. And man, I was so let down. I was so frustrated. And uh, I wasn't mad at at the guy that was leading the trip. I wasn't mad at God. I was just mad. I was like, man, I, I finally made the decision to do what I'm called to do. And it just got kind of taken away from me with, with like, just like that. Yeah. So I prayed and I said, God, I'm not going to get hurt like that again. I said, so I'm going to be the best student that I can be. I'm going to be the best Christian that I can be until you open up the next door. And that's mm. what I did. For the next year, I applied myself, man. I The first test I took in college, I made 104 because you had, he put extra credit on it because he thought we were going. there's going to be people that needed it. Yeah. I made 104. The second test I took in college, I made 103. I mean, I just, whenever I prayed that prayer, I meant it. And – Started doing short-term mission trips, started leading short-term mission trips. Man, when I was 19, I, I led a team of 18 people to Mexico. Half of them was their first mission trip, and, like, five of them were minors. And, I mean, people were just, like, I'm dumb, man. I don't know why in the world anybody thought that was a good idea, but but I did. Man, I took them to Mexico. It was an awesome trip. I mean, I thought I was killing it. I was like, this is it. Like, I'm the mm-hmm. top student in Bible college. I'm leading mission trips. Every trip I go on, I get job offers from like these big missions organizations. This is awesome. And like, I'm it. I'm the man. I'm the missionary. Yeah. And man, I just got really prideful. And then senior year of Bible college, man, I I was leading trips. Like I said, I was the, at that time I was the student body president, the top student in school. And man, I found myself completely burnt out and I was ready to walk away from the faith. I was ready to walk away from, from my fiance, I was ready to walk away from everything. My family, I was going to go by that school bus and wow, man. Like walk away from everything. And I mean, I just remember like praying and I'd found myself doubting God and doubting his existence and doubting the gospel and just everything, man. I was completely burnt out. And I remember just during that time and I I prayed and I was struggling. And I remember the fact that the fact that I was doubting God's existence scared me. And for some reason that gave me hope. Mm. I was like, if I'm, if it scares me that I'm doubting, mm. like, what is it that would cause that fear? Why would I, if it was not real, why wouldn't I be relieved? Yeah. But it scared me. And I remember I prayed and God spoke to me, man. I have a, a page on my notes on my phone of all the times God spoke to me in my life. And God spoke to me. He said, you haven't fallen out of love with me. You've fallen out of love with your relationship with me. And, man, I was going and sitting in Bible classes every single day. I was leading mission trips all the time. I was working in church every day. But I had no personal devotion time. I had no relationship with God. I was doing church. I was doing the Bible stuff, doing everything right, but personally. And that's whenever I discovered journaling my prayers. I mean, that that literally changed my life because it was so intentional and something between God and I. Huh. 
And it was, it was something, the first time that I had a personal thing that no one taught me how to do was something that I decided to do just between myself and God. And it literally changed not only my walk, but it changed my life. Tell me more about that because I've never done that before. So, man, it's, it started out in a class that I took freshman year, and it was just teaching us, like, it was uh, spiritual formation. It was teaching you how to pray and all this. And the guy made us keep a journal for, like, 30 days. Um, and it was just a – it meant nothing to him. It was just something to add in the class. But I kind of liked it whenever I did it. So during that time, I started keeping a journal, and um, I drew a lot growing up. It was just something that was – I would draw pictures and give them to my grandparents or, or my pastor or my parents. Just It was something that was really kind of like intimate to me. Like I've always loved art, and I felt like I could express myself through drawing. And so every morning I sit down and I, I draw just a simple sketch. I just draw something small, a, a bird, an hourglass, like just something simple. But the, it goes with my prayer, and I, and I write a letter to God every single day. And it's – my mind calms when I sit down to draw. Mm. It's actually one of the only times that like my mind will silence whenever I sit down and draw, but it's something so personal and so intimate for me. And like I said, something that no one taught me to do that I sat down and, and I'm, I'm drawing a picture and writing a letter to God every single day. And it's, I think the reason that God blesses me so much through that is because it is so intentional and it's so personal. It's not just your simple God. Thank you for this food. Yeah. Bless us today. Amen. You know, isn't that, a, isn't that just a, such a freaking awesome story, man? Because you hear so, it, it, it sounds sometimes corny when people say that the creator of the universe wants a personal relationship with you. And here you just told a story of when God spoke to you and said, hey, man, the reason you're burned out is because, yeah, you're you're doing all the right things. You're doing the work. But that's not the only thing that I want. I, I want I want you to want me. Yeah. Um, I've tried to describe it to people so many times. The way that I view at least partially our relationship with our creator is I have to ask myself, here's an eternal being that we can't even comprehend. Well, why on earth would he create us? And the, the best possible example that doesn't encompass it completely, but that I can offer is God created us essentially for the same reason that we have dogs. Actually, the same reason we have kids, but he doesn't have kids, so yeah, he has to yeah, say dogs. Yeah, so, yeah, but, but you know what, man? This is interesting, though. The, the, the reason I use dogs is very interesting because really, to be honest, I mean, we get right down to it, and you might could argue this point, but the only relationship that you have, carnal relationship, that is unconditional is the relationship you have with your dog. It's unconditional. That dog is going to love you, respect you, want, it's going to want your love. That dog's going to want your attention. That, that dog wants you, and it's, it's unconditional. 
Every other relationship that you have with human beings, whether you want to say it or not, it's conditional. You could argue the same thing for dogs, too, because you take care of them. But I would say that you have that relationship with kids up to an age. Because I can remember my kids. I mean, you, we would spank our daughter, and she would immediately want to give you love right after. So I think that that eventually wanes because we become more and more human like the rest of the people. But I get what you're saying. Well, it, you dang people with kids, uh, man. I mean... <laughs> It is much more you to me when you have kids, you can understand God's love for you on a deeper level. Absolutely. That, I'll Absolutely. say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dog, y'all don't go to talking all that. I'm stuff, just saying, man. man. I'm truth. just Look, saying truth. the moment that the moment that I had my son, not only did I understand how much God cared about me, I understood how much my how much my parents cared about me. And I remember I remember whenever I, they laid my son in my arms. It wasn't. It was probably like the third thought that I had. But the third thought that I had was, how did my parents make it through my cancer diagnosis? Like that was literally like one of the very first thoughts that I had. Like, you come to such a realization of how much your parents love you, but then also with that, how much the father like truly loves you. And then even though like you reject him and you run from his call, and you, re- I mean, Christianity is free. Like you said, social media, like Christianity is free. You literally uh, that confuses people too. Yeah, like that confuses the crap out of people. It's free, but it also costs you everything at, in this in, world. In both, yeah, but yeah, yeah in exactly. this world, that's yep. that's the key. Yep. Yeah, but the, see, the man, the thing is that people get so confused on is they think I need to get myself right before I can bring myself to Christ. Like I've got to clean up my life. I've got to clean up my talk. I've got to put down every everything I struggle with, every addiction, and then I can come to Christ. What in the world is the blood of Christ for? It's, it does that work. And whenever you, it's like a relationship. Whenever you fall in love with someone, you might like wearing your hair a certain way. But because you love them and they like you wearing your hair a different way, you're just going to do that. And whenever you fall in love with Jesus, it's not that you just that you quit liking having sex. It, like That doesn't go away. But because you want to be close with Jesus and you know having sex before you get married separates you from him because it's sin— it makes you not want to do it anymore because mm-hmm. your love for him is stronger than your love for the things of this world. But people think I got to, I got to put down my pot before I come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, get close to Jesus and the other stuff will fall away. Yeah. Like Jesus will clean up your life. You can't do it. You you don't have the power. It's got power over yeah. you. That's why you can't put it down. But whenever you get close to him, all that falls away. Mm. All of it. Thank you for describing that. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. And, um, isn't it just wild to think that that your creator desires you wants you wants you to to like you like doesn't just want you to do the work that needs to be done but wants you As to come to it's always weird for me to call God a him Eternal being, the creator of the universe. It's beyond any of our comprehension. But for the sake of words, wants you to come to him and and praise him and love him and seek him. And that gives him joy, if you can describe it that way. Right? And that was just an awesome example of that. And another thing that I I heard in your story, it was... um, 
It's crazy to me. Well, no, it no, it's not crazy to me. It actually makes total sense to me how you got in that space where you were, man, you were clicking. You were like, I, I'm the dude, man. Like, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the top guy doing this, right? And you talked about pride, and then shortly after that, you had that that burnout. And so that's happened to me so many times in my life, man. When when I'm on, when I'm clicking right when things are going good when when I'm on top because you know what we what we do what I do every single time when I think I'm doing a good job is I start to rely on myself and if you rely on yourself you are going to fail that is not, it is not sustainable for a human being to rely upon themselves completely in order to fulfill what it is they've been called to fulfill their purpose in life. You, you can't do it. We're too weak. We're too fallible. We, we, we get blown with every wind. We, only, we don't have enough strength physically, mentally, emotionally to rely on ourselves in the face of what this world is going to throw at you. And so as soon as you start relying on yourself, just know that you're about to get burned out because you, you you, you've got to be reset. You've got to focus your attention back on the actual source of strength itself. It's weird for me. God, people pray to God to give them strength. No, man. God is your strength. He is he ain't, he ain't giving you a portion of strength. No, he just is your strength. You know? It's an awesome freaking story, man. So much wrapped in, wrap, wrapped in on that. Gage, you know you can talk, right? Yeah, I'm just listening. You know, <laughs> I had my mic time. This is his mic time right now. No, man, this is a conversation. <laughs> um, so, dude, you had that, you had that reset. You started journaling your prayers which you said changed well I, I think what reconnected that personal yeah. that personal relationship that God wanted from you and then take me from there man yeah man so after that I um I started you know getting back things I graduated from college I tried to go on a mission trip to Africa I was going to go for for the whole summer and long story short uh travel agency robbed me of like 10 grand emptied out my emptied out my missions account emptied out my personal account like robbed me blind and i was stranded in the new york city airport had to call a friend to fly me back home and so i came home man and during that time i was really struggling i had i had a lot of pastors that were like close friends that i really thought were gonna help me get in ministry and get involved because i mean we we come from gaffney like the only thing grizzle boys are known for at youth camp is getting kicked out like that's what we were known for in the church of God. And I was getting, I was having a hard time getting connections and getting like speaking engagements and getting people to just believe in me, man. And it was yeah. really, really a struggle. But I, I came home and I, I just kind of sat back. We, we have camp meeting every single year it's where everyone in the state comes together for a, for a week long revival. And I mean, there's, there's hundreds of people there. And I was watching all these young ministers just like, sitting with these big name pastors and shaking the right hands and networking. And just, I was like, man, why? 
I can't do that. I can't put on a, a you know, my black slacks and a white shirt and a black tie and cut my hair short and just and do that. And it's something that like God has really taught me over the past few years. I have a saying that I live by is you can't get lost chasing Jesus. So often I see people that will try to put themselves in the right rooms and make the right connections and network and meet the right people based on false agendas and, and make fake relationships, like reach out to people on Instagram, act like you have the same the same interests whenever you don't even give a crap about what they're into and you do all this. But during that time of, of getting robbed of all the money, having to stay home, just go into this. I went to a banquet that I wasn't even invited to. It was a missions banquet that someone was like, hey, I got an invitation. I want you to come with me. And I sat across the table from my now biggest supporter. And she, the lady that invited us was up there speaking. And she was like, if you want to meet some missionaries, who are the real deal? She was like, they're sitting right there. That young couple right there. She's like, they're the real deal. The dude turned. He said, let me get your information. And dude, since then, like we have just, I could speak every single Sunday if I want to. Mm-hmm. And like we, before we went to Kenya, man, I spoke for like at a different church, at least one church, sometimes two churches every Sunday for like six months. I was speaking on Wednesday, like every single wow. Wednesday night because we have to raise our own funds, man. And my salary comes out of the money that I raise from people who partner with what we do. And just re- coming to that realization of I can stay on course of what God has called me to be, being the person that I'm supposed to be in the exact form. I mean, I, I like the way that I dress. I like the way that I look. I like tattoos. I like long hair. I don't have to change that to fit into some what someone else wants and become what they need mm. because then I'm going to build a bunch of fake relationships because they think that I can fill a need that I'm not even cut out for. Yep. I see it so often with young ministers, man. They see a, a, a traditional pastor who needs a youth pastor so they become the best traditional old school like youth pastor and they're not even called a youth ministry they just want a ministry job yep and then you'll see someone who needs like this new age guy that can they can be a discipleship guy and he's called the kids ministry and he and he likes wearing a suit and tie to church on sundays but he dresses in skinny jeans you see these fat youth pastors wearing skinny jeans and crazy haircuts and they don't even like what they're wearing they're just doing it to fit this fake mold and be Mm. this fake person to where they end up you know 10 years down the road and they're not they don't even know who they are god that's unsustainable yeah but, man, like, God just revealed to me through that time, like, it's okay to be Bryce and Grizzle. You don't have to – of course, you don't sin and do things that are against the Word of God, but you can be who you are, and I will bring – and as long as you stay focused on the path that I've called you to walk, he's already cleared the way, and he'll bring the right people alongside of him, people that are walking that path also. Mm-hmm. I'm not going off on someone else's trail and finding them and trying to drag them over to where I'm trying to go people that are already walking that trail, he'll bring them alongside of me and, and get me to where I need to go. And then we spent, I think, two more years in the States itinerating, getting ready. I worked in a church there. Um, I started an outreach program in our hometown, and then I uh, built it up to where I could walk away from it and have people to keep running. It's, I was, participated in this past Saturday. It's still going on even after we left. And then and we had a baby, loaded up four suitcases worth of trash, and moved to Kenya. I think, you know, you guys, both of you have represent two kind of different areas, but, but the common theme between both of you is that you've became yourself for the cause or for the sake of Jesus. And, and so I think 
your calls and who you are and what you became is what so many people want to be. They think, all right, I want to do something for Jesus, so it must be in the church. I, I must have to become something within the... I said Chad hates talking about the church, but I'm talking about like full-time ministry, working within a, a local church building, congregation, that kind of thing. And that's what people want to get into. And for some people, that's it. But for some other people, it's not it. It's it's being a a shooter, a hunter, an outdoorsman, a dog trainer, and you live out your Christian walk in that area. And and then people see, oh, well, Gage is putting out all this kind of cool stuff, but you know, he's not foul mouth. He's he's kind of respectful. And uh, oh, look in his bio, he's a Christian. And then that piques their interest because if you want to share something, Christianity, gun information, uh, running information, if you want to share something with somebody, you have to gain their respect through credibility almost always. And so as soon as you're credible in one area, people will start to listen to you. And that so that's exactly, you know, there's two different, you guys have shown two different paths that I think are representative of, of probably may, maybe the main two, like people work within full-time ministry, like missions work within the church body, within a local congregation, and then people like Gage are, are doing these things that may not seem to directly... Uh, spread the gospel but indirectly they are because you're becoming yourself for the sake of jesus you know, i don't know if that makes sense but i see the the common thread in my mind of, of you guys story there the way i look at it is like back to instagram if i was to have like just a strictly christian account all i post is christian stuff chances are i'm just going to attract christians to it for daily motivation and that kind of stuff i'm not going to have anybody that's not looking for Christ, they're not going to follow that account because all I post is Christian-based stuff. So if I can get them to come in for a different reason and then introduce Christ to them, they're coming for one reason, and I'm going to leave them with something else. Mm -hmm. That's like inviting somebody to church. If they don't want to go to church, they're not going to come to church with you. But if you can invite them to an event that, say, some of your church friends are going to be at, like I really, I really dig like men's ministry. I think there's something special about having a group of men together and taking away all the distractions and just being raw. And so I think if you've got somebody that you want, that you know needs Christ, and say you're doing a men's event, and you know some of the men from your church are going to be there, you might not can get them into church, but you can get them plugged in with this group of believers that can influence them, and eventually they'll find their way into church. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's such a specific calling too though that you know that Bryson has to reach the to reach the nations in the way that he yeah that he does. I mean that's such a that's such a very very unique and specific job that or purpose that has to be filled within the body of Christ. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like and and I I get I I I get that because when I look at my own, my own purpose within the body of Christ, it's for me. It's I know that I'm like not called to do with called to do, nor am I uh, the right person to do the job that Bryson's doing within the body of Christ. And like, I am totally cool with that, man. <laughs> like, are I, I? And not in a way of like I don't 
want to do what the things that Bryson does because that seems that fits what I would probably enjoy doing. Like it wouldn't be like that sounds cool to me, mm-hmm. but but I know that that's not my purpose. So you're exactly right, Blake. There are there there are all different types of roles that have to be filled within the body of Christ, and yeah. it's just um, I don't know, man. I mean, so you got a kid now packing up, like getting rid of most all your stuff and and uh, and headed over to especially a place like Kenya, which there are some rough places absolutely in Kenya, and uh, there's a lot going on at any given time over there. Was that like exciting to you? Was it nerve wracking? Was there like a, what did that feel like? Cause this is be the first time now you're leaving and you know, you're going to be gone for a long time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we were getting ready to go. I think Gage was excited cause he, he got to keep all my guns while I was gone. So half the, half the guns he posts, man. I was like, that's mine. <laughs> you got two yeah. guns. Nah, you got two guns. <laughs> But anyways, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to move, and I I talked to a guy, man. He explained it so so well. He said, oftentimes whenever like adults are about to make a move, they're forward sighted. We're looking at all the things that we're going to, but kids, whenever they move away from like their hometown to a to a new state, they're backward sighted. They're looking at everything they're walking away from, and so I think for me, like I was very aware that I was walking away from my family and that I was going to miss out on a lot of events. Like my best friend's baby was born while I was gone. And just like several big things happened. There was things that happened in our home church and happened in our family where like, I wish that I was here to support through that. People mm-hmm. passed away while we were gone, but I was looking so forward to, I had done mission work, but I'm like, now I'm like living on the field. Like this is what I, this is my purpose. You're I'm, embedded. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm all in on what God has called me to do. And we have been working for it for so long. And it was, everything had lined up so perfect. It was just awesome. We were so excited to get out there. So I wasn't really all that nervous. Like I was very aware of the dangers. And we live next to the Kabira slum. I think it's the fifth largest slum in the entire world. And I look at life and it's like, you're taking steps. And I, I know where I'm trying to go. Like, man, there's, there's like, three billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ still on this earth. And I'm like, I, I literally not blowing smoke, not trying to hype people up. I literally believe that we will, we will end that. My, our motto for ministry is we're making unreached people groups, a thing of the past. I think that we'll reach them all before my lifetime. And I believe that when I say it. Hmm. And so like, I, I knew that this was like my very first big step towards getting to where we need to do, where we need to be to do that. So I was like just filled with excitement, but I was still like very aware of the dangers. I'm moving a newborn baby. Our baby was six months old when we moved. Um, I have a very, very beautiful wife, and taking pretty white women to Africa is a dangerous thing. That's yeah. just a given fact. Um, so I was aware. And, man, like we get there, and it, it wasn't all that crazy. We made some good friends. We were involved in some some really cool ministries, trying to get our feet up under us and everything. Like day three – or not, it wasn't day three. It was, it was several weeks in, but I mean, it was just like early, early in. We're sitting there. I'm, I'm putting my son down for a nap. We're sitting outside in a hammock, and I was on the phone with my mom, just normal day. The director comes running by. He's like, there's a wild dog in the compound. It just bit three people. And so I was like, what in the world, man? Like, 
what are you talking about? So I run my baby inside and I grab my machete that my wife told me not to buy before we went. I bought it anyway. And I, she's like, what are you doing? I said, like, there's a wild dog in the compound. I'm, I'm going to go catch it. And she was like, don't get bit. My mom's freaking out. I run outside. And we started like going and chasing after this dog, man. I remember there's this like really distinct moment. We've been chasing it for like 45 minutes. And the air quality in Nairobi right outside of the slum is just dog crap probably like, burns your nostrils oh dude like yeah it smells like burnt trash yep. all the time so i'm like been running for 45 minutes i'm not a runner at all it's like 110 degrees outside i remember i was sweating couldn't breathe and i looked over to my left and there's like these three kenyan dudes running with spears and then i look over to my right and there's three more running with like just these rigged up weapons that they've created out of trash and we're running through our through our garden and I just, like, looked, and I came to the realization, I was like, this is my life now. Like, I'm sitting here with my Mighty Ducks hat on and a machete chasing a wild dog through a Shamba in Kenya. Like, what in the world has my life come to? I mean, we chased that dog for, like, another 15 minutes, and we lost it. We're in a 14-acre compound. We can't, like, get it out of the compound because there's people everywhere, so it's just going to attack someone else. Clearly had rabies. And so we lose it in like this really tall grass. And I went and stood up on top of this big rock and was looking. And man, that dog jumped up out of the grass, bit this dude in the face, flipped over his head and took off running again. When it takes off running, that dude threw a stick at it and it, and hit it pretty good. So it was running a little bit slower, ran to the other side of the compound. And we finally seen it. I was like, all right, here we go. Like, we're going to get a game plan. Now we're going to just quit trying to catch a dog because we're clearly not going to catch it just running. So it was sitting between these two little shacks, and I said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up on one side by myself, and I should startle it, and you guys be waiting on the other side. It'll come back there and you kill it." And they're like, "What if it attacks you?" I was like, "We're good. It's not gonna attack me." And I was like, yeah, "Surely, when I pop out, this dog is just gonna take off running the other direction because I'll startle it, take my shirt off, wrap my arm up." I told them so if the dog lunged at me, I could like block it. It was really to protect my tattoo. I was <laughs> like, "I'd rather just, I would That's rather, smart. yeah, man, I couldn't let it get the tattoo." So I sneak up, man, and it's I like as soon as I was about to pop around the corner, I heard the dog take off running the other way. So I yelled, I was like, "Guys, look out! It's coming the other way!" And then I heard it scream, like I heard the dog just like scream, and it comes running right back by me. And there's like a chunk missing out of his face where a dude threw a machete at it. And so I start running after it. Another dude throws a spear and like barely catches its side, but the spear is like it just catches like a little bit of skin, but enough to where the spear didn't come out. It's just like dragging behind it. And, man, I'm, like, running after this dog. And the whole time I was, like, telling myself, like, you have to be the one to get it. You have to be. Like, I got to earn my stripes. I got to be the man of the, of the compound. Like, mm -hmm. I got to be a Kenyan. And, man, I'm running, dying. Like, I am dying, but I'm trying to act like I'm tough. And, man, I get right up on the dog. And as soon as I do, it turns around and lunges at me to, to like, to bite me. And, and I'm just sitting there with my machete and, like, never killed anything other than, like, some birds with a BB gun. <laughs> And, like, I mean, I've watched deer walk. Like, put them in the crosshairs, felt bad, and let them walk. Like, I just yeah. never killed it, man. And I, like, without a second thought, just boom, split the dog's skull in half. And for good measure, jumped to the side. It bounced up off the ground. And whenever it was on its way back up, I hit it in the back of the neck, like, right on its shoulder blades. If I wouldn't have hit its shoulder blades, I'd have cut that dog's head off with mm. my machete. Like, I swung as hard as I could. And, obviously, it was dead. And I, I thought that I'd like earned my stripes. Turns out I freaked everybody out because I got so up close and personal with it. <laughs> they, they said we were trying to throw stuff at it and kill it, and you just hacked it up with a machete. <laughs> and man, like just coming to that realization of like 
this is what my life is now. Like yeah. I never, never killed anything. And I just hacked up a dog with a machete was like a very real moment. And I was, I was talking with Gage. It almost bothered me because I felt like since that moment, like something switched on the inside of me where things that used to bother me don't bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. Almost like it, it felt like the best way I can describe it is like primal. Like it felt primal. And like, I was not a pusher before. Like I, I was hot headed and would argue and fight and, and, and anything with people. You know, I, I wasn't like a pansy before I went over there, but there was still like this very, very present, like compassion for everything. Like I, I felt bad for everybody and everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Like just always felt bad, but like just being in a place where like I had to do this and like, I know I had to do it. Yeah. So I don't feel bad about it. Like it bothered me for a long time. Like other things that I seen over there and like witnessed and the feelings that I felt confused me a lot because I've seen a lot of things over there, man, that I, that I'd never seen before. And I thought that I would feel a certain kind of way about them. And then when it happened, you know, you just, I don't know if it's shock or just different emotion or just your body don't know what to do. But I was shocked at the way that certain things kind of sat with me and, and it really bothered me for a long time. Like I, I had to pray. I thought something was wrong with mm-hmm. me and it, it all stemmed from that, like that day with that dog and then not, not feel it. like I knew that I had to kill that dog. Yeah. I knew I did. All of our guys had to go get rabies shots. And like, I mean, it, it ran past chickens and sheep to attack people. Makes no sense. And when you get bit by a wild African dog, it's different than getting bit by your neighbor's cocker <laughs> spaniel. <laughs> yes. Right. Different ball game. Yeah. Yeah, man. Taking a life is a, is a serious, a very serious thing. Taking the life of any, anything, um, but yeah, you're thrust into this. We 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 have built a society where we can be totally disconnected from those types of responsibilities, uh, and then being thrust into that. I can see how that would how that would kind of rock you back on your heels a little bit. Because heck, that'd get me amped up. It was it was crazy. Man. It was <laughs> yeah, a different kind of experience for sure. I, I'm interested the the demographic where you have been in Kenya. Um, do they, most of the people, are they, what, what is their faith background? Like, do they have their own, you know, gods and religions? Is it Muslim? Is it Christian? What, what What's the majority of the people you're dealing with? Where do they stand? Yeah, so if you, if you Google search it, it's going to tell you that, that Kenya's majority Christian, just like most countries in the world. If you Google search it, most places in the, in the world are considered majority Christian. But, man, the Christianity that they have allows them to, to sell their kids to be married at seven years old mm-hmm. for a herd of sheep. That's that's not Christianity. It's just the fact that they believe in a God, and 70 years ago a Catholic missionary came over there and told them that his name is Jesus, and that's just the name that they've given their version of the higher power that they believe in. And so it's, it's really tough, man. The Muslims are... My view on Muslims have, has really changed since being over there, man. And before we, we see on TV, we just see them blowing stuff up and like these crazy yeah. radical. Man, I met a lot of Muslims over there that are amazing people. Yeah. Like they're nice people. They care about people. They're over there helping. I mean, uh, apart from Christianity and, and their eternity, presently right here on this world, they're making sure people are fed. They're making sure that, that kids have a safe place to live. And so it definitely changed my perspective on on a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise, I had the same experience. I worked with teams in Nigeria, which is split 
south is Christian, north is Muslim, and I work with many teams where we would have devout Muslims and Christians working side by side, and there was wasn't any friction. Yeah, it's really really weird because yeah, yes. that's not the image portrayed by media over the last twenty years for sure. Well, most people just believe what they're told to believe, and they're told that you should hate. Media projects division. Yeah, they I mean it's religion, racism. I mean you. If I'm white and you're black and we have a disagreement, it's because one of us is racist. Like, that's just what they, that's the way the media portrays it. The Muslims and Christians work hand in hand over there. Yeah. And to be completely honest, Muslims, if they would just say that they believed in Jesus, would be a better Christian than most Christians. Like, they are so devout in their faith. Yeah. And the life that they live is so clean and honorable. Like, even down to the food that they eat, like, they are so, they live such a, an amazing devout life and they're mm-hmm. so sold out. If we could just convert them to Christianity, man, like and get mm-hmm. them to believe in the true savior of the world, it would change everything. Mm-hmm. Like they would be the best Christians on the face of the earth, but they just, that man, that I don't know. It's, it changed my perspective completely. So that was, that was definitely a different, a different demographic to deal with. Cause I, I had worked with some Muslims in the past. Uh, whenever I did some mission work in Greece in the refugee camps, but going over there and like living with them definitely changed my perspective. And just like I said, man, the, the Christianity that they have is so different. Like if you still over there, you're stoned to death right there in the street. Even if the police are standing right there, the police will encourage the citizens to stone people to death for stealing. And so I ran a men's fellowship group over there and there was a, there was a day where an incident happened and, and a, a man attempted to steal something from me, and and in the process, his life was taken. And I was talking about it at Men's Fellowship because I was struggling, man. Like, I was struggling. That's one thing about mission work, man. It is a very, very lonely ministry and a very lonely calling because no one really knows what you're seeing. What you're, they see you hugging a bunch of smiling kids yeah. and playing soccer. But, man, like, it is so – no one knows what you're going through, and no one can relate to it. Like, I've, I've opened up about – this story with several people and some of them want me to want me to tell the story to their friends. Like it's a party trick. Like they just, they don't understand the depth of like what really happened. And I, I talked to them about this at my men's fellowship group and the guys were like, good. It's good that that guy died. If I was there, I would have added stones to his dead body. And these are supposed to be like my Christian brothers that I'm running a men's Christian fellowship group with. And I'm just, the Christianity men that they have is just so far off from what the gospel teaches that people, they just, they don't, they don't understand. They just say, Oh, you're going to Kenya. That's a Christian country. I better be fun. Enjoy your year long vacation in Africa, man. It gives me a, yeah, I I never realized that that was the case, dude. Um, I mean, well, in the specific example of, you know, your your men's fellowship group and and the way they responded to that individual being killed for trying to steal from you, the way they responded to that, I mean, what do you what do you then say to them? I mean, because obviously you you could you could react in different ways to that, but like how how do you how are you reaching people? This is ingrained in them and and you're an outsider. Like how are you reaching these people? Like, what's worked? Man, so that was one thing that was really difficult about going over there. Like I said, when I was here in the States, I was like, 
as far as ministry goes, like I was killing it. I had so many job offers, but then I went over there, man, and just trying to get my foot up under me, like not even getting on some solid ground, but I was just trying to get something up under me. It was difficult. And Blake and I were talking earlier and he was saying that, uh, I can choose to live my life the way that I feel is right and makes sense or I can choose to live it by what the Bible says. And so to go, you have to tiptoe a little bit. And I'm not one, like I preach hard whenever I'm in the States. Like I don't mind touching on the touchy subjects. Yeah. But over there, you have to tiptoe a little bit and be be aware of the culture and not be offensive. But I had to explain to them, just because your culture says that it's okay and just because it's what you're used to doesn't mean that, that that's the right thing to do. And what was the the beautiful thing about it, man, was I actually got to see it play out in such a practical way. Just a few months after it happened, we had three kids break into our compound and they were trying to steal scrap metal to buy food. And their parents were sending them in to do this, knowing the penalty for stealing in Kenya is death. And they're sending their, their 10 and 11 year old kids into our compound to steal, knowing. And so, I, man, I'm not going to lie. Like, I almost messed it up, and but I because I was sitting there and I was, I knew these kids were stealing and I had done got ticked off because they had stolen several several things. And I was like, I'm gonna catch these kids. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat them. Like, I'm because in Kenya that if you're a man you're in charge of like discipline all kids. It don't have to be your like, you just discipline all kids. And okay. I was like, I'm gonna make sure these kids never steal again. Like I'm gonna give them a, I'm gonna give them a spanking. I'm gonna catch them and, and so which I, would ultimately be for their own good and probably it would, and it would it <laughs> yeah. would absolutely. But I catch these kids, ma'am. It was three young boys, and by the culture, I should have daggum near killed them. And even for, as a Southern culture, I should have spanked those boys, yeah. I, I teach them a lesson. But, man, I prayed, and and I know God God told me to show love and mercy in that moment. And so I told those boys, I said, if y'all ever need anything, I said, I know why you're stealing. If you ever need anything, I was like, just show up, knock on the gate, ask for Bryson, and I'll make sure you have groceries. So, man, we, they come to the gate, and I told them, I was like, you know, here, here's some groceries. I said, next Saturday, y'all show up at 2 o'clock. We play soccer every Saturday. And so the boys showed up, and not, not only all three of them showed up, but nine of them showed up. Mm. They played soccer with us. I sent them home with food. The next day, they showed up for church, and one of them ended up accepting Christ into his heart. <laughs> the next week, 20 kids showed up to play soccer on Saturday, and, like, 24 kids showed up to church. The next week, like, 50 kids showed up to play soccer. And before it was over, in two months – we went from three boys stealing scrap metal in our compound to 125 kids coming to play soccer every single Saturday from the slum. We're giving, sending them home with not only food for themselves, but food for their families. Our last week in Kenya, 26 kids gave their life to Christ. Man. <sighs> Holy crap, man. That's a... You want to take a break real quick? Yeah. Good gosh. How do we... Yeah. That's, yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's a good spot to take a break on. We'll be right back. <laughs> Well, guys, we're back live uh, now that we let the amateur podcaster um, Gage go out and use the restroom. Gage, well, is this your first podcast? Yeah, I, I ain't never. Oh, been on yeah. A podcast okay, I, I get it. All makes sense now. Well, I'll I'll say let we'll get back on track because it was good stuff that we were talking about here. But I wanted to comment and say how so we were talking about the kids had broken into where you were staying. They stole some things. You chose not to punish them like you thought or like the culture thought you should. And, you know, that in American culture, 
we teach our kids that you get what you deserve, right? Um, with with uh, Santa Chris, Claus. Christmas time at Santa Claus. If you're good, you're going to get presents. If you're bad, you're not going to get presents. And we tell our kids, if you're good, I'll take you for ice cream. If you're bad, you don't get ice cream. And while discipline is important to teach kids, it, it is. You should know that you shouldn't act a certain way. But then also, where do kids get their image of who God is from? And you know, most likely it's from their father or, or from some father figure in their life. And if you don't ever show them mercy or grace in situations, then how do they learn what that feels like? And so it, it's hard and it's contradictory to what you think you should do. But even with our kids, sometimes we'll, we'll say, hey, tonight we're going to go to town and get ice cream. And one of the kids will be acting crazy. And I'll say, hey, you know, really, you don't deserve ice cream because of how you acted, right? And they're like, yeah. And I'll say, but we're still going to go get ice cream because we love you and it's fun and we're going to go have a good time. And so if you're going to do that, you have to make it a point to teach that lesson of grace and spell it out for them because they don't see it. They see it as, oh, I got by. I'm still getting ice cream and I acted bad. They don't see that you're teaching them grace. And that's exactly what you did with the kids over there, right? You said, hey, that you didn't even have to tell them. They knew when they were caught, oh, gosh, we're about to get the crap beat out of us. But then you show them grace, and then they learn about who God is. They tell their friends, and, and then look how it all turns for the good. You had 125-something kids coming in there. And so I just wanted to point that out, that that's an amazing story. And listeners, you can use this same tactic, if you want to call it that, in your house with your own children and with, I mean, even if they're not children, your spouse, your, anybody you're in relationship with, you can use that. And people need to see and understand what it feels like to receive grace on earth so that they can liken it and see how God gives them grace. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're, as far as tact, I mean, tactic, it's you are, you are representing the image of Christ yeah. as man when you show grace to others. Because, yes, the, your creator will chastise you when he can't get your attention any other way. But even in the midst of chastisement, he's already provided the grace, the, the the provision of grace is is never taken out of the equation. You are every breath that you take um, on your way to eternal life with your Creator is a representation of grace because you are getting what you don't deserve the, all the time. Even in the midst of of some short season of chastisement if if that's the case and by the way every time something bad happens it's not god chastising you well that's why people think that because of how we raise our kids yeah. and the culture we create that if you're bad you get bad if you're good you get good and that's what creates people's image of god to be that way yeah, I, I mean i think it is a great contributing factor to it yeah man yeah. i think that in the church we have two extremes we have people that believe in hyper grace like I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, and as long as I say you I mean love cheap Jesus. grace. Yeah, absolutely. Cheap grace. Yeah, it, it doesn't cost anybody anything. Yeah. I can just do whatever I want, say I love Jesus, and I'm still going to heaven. But then you have what we grew up in, and grace, I didn't even know grace was a thing, man. I'm like, man, if I stomp my toe and I say a bad word, I'm going to hell. Like right then and there, and it creates this mindset in kids 
that like God is just waiting on you to mess up so mm-hmm. he can slap you off the pedestal and, and send you to hell. Well, you have to find that middle ground where you have to show that you love God by the actions that you do and the things that you sacrifice. Like for me personally, a lot of people say drinking alcohol is, is not a sin if you don't get drunk. Some people think that drinking alcohol completely is a sin. For me, I'm not sure. So by choosing not by choosing not to do something that might be okay, I think that that's me showing God I'm putting forth effort for you mm. because I'm not sure. I'm not sure where you fall down. I think that I think they use wine for communion, but I think that me sacrificing having an alcoholic beverage is is a way for me to show God I care about you. This is this is something that I'm willing to sacrifice out of my life just to show you that I love you. And but so many people we want to find we want to ride that line of how sinful can I be and still make it to heaven. Instead of how close to God can I genuinely yeah. be? What can I what can I sacrifice completely to be closer to God? And you can it, that can get unhealthy as well because then you can be so worried about doing something wrong that you just don't do anything at all. Living in your living in your bedroom with the doors closed and the windows shut and having someone slide food into the door is not a Christian life either. But I think that is it's a healthy habit to pick up to sacrifice things in your life that even though they might not be sin, they just might not be healthy. We come from a family full of full of addicts. All of our grandparents were, were addicted to things. Our aunts and uncles have been addicted to things. So for me, I think it's a healthy habit to stay away from things yeah. that I can get addicted to. Yeah. You know, uh, there's an awesome book out there um, called The Cost of Discipleship, and it quotes... Martin Luther, and uh, there's a quote from Martin Luther that says, part of the part of the quote says, sin boldly, and people get that misconstrued because they don't understand the life of the man who said that. He's, what, what he meant is sin boldly, and that's, that's after you've exhausted your resources to follow your, 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 physical reasons, like what you can muster to follow Christ, the best that you can follow Christ. And then when you mess up, it's be, don't don't worry about it, right? Yeah. But cheap grace says, every time, Christ, if we read in Scripture, every time Christ called someone, the, the command was follow me, follow me. Right? That implies you taking action. Right? And so, yes, you are going to screw up. But just like Bryson just said, in the case of alcohol, well, do do everything that you can do and you know to do to the best of your ability. And then when you screw up, Screw up boldly because you can be confident in the grace that's provided to you. And that's what true, that's where true grace exists. It, it's not, yeah, it's not this thing where you, you can do whatever you want because of grace. I think Paul had the same problem with people in the early church and you can look scripturally in, in how he talked about this. But um, yeah, you do have to, you have to understand that, man. So I want to talk to Gage real quick. Because one of the things that really impressed me about uh, about Gage was that he actually came out, he took the time 
to come out and visit you, Bryson, in Kenya. And um, I just saw a young man that, you know, is, has a great life that is doing his thing, and he decided to take the time and the risk to make a hard trip to a really ugly place for whatever reason. And um, that's a big freaking deal, man. Because the only times I've ever went to Africa is because I had to go. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't have a freaking choice in the matter. And uh, that's a big deal. Why'd you decide to make that trip, Gage? I mean, for one, I'd been, I hadn't seen my brother, my sister-in-law, or my nephew in, what was it, like seven months? Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. So I was missing them. Um, and I've never been out of the Southeast. I've pretty much lit, like, Everyone that I know lives a very similar lifestyle that I live, you know, similar environment, similar opportunities. And I've heard stories and, you know, seen these little commercials come across the TV about the the conditions that other people are living in. So besides the fact of I wanted to go visit them, I wanted to get a perspective on how blessed I actually am and seeing the conditions that they're living in and how little they have and then even like the girls in the compound hearing their stories and i don't know that i ever saw any of them not smiling you know and i come walking out and every one of them greets me and you know they tell me they love me and all that and i'm like if they can go through all this and they still love they still have joy then why do i have any right to get upset about anything that i go through mm -hmm. i mean you compare my life to their life and i literally i have no comparison Anything that I've been through does not even compare. Kind of like me getting flustered about the insurance guy being late. Yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. That, that turd. Like, you think yeah, those like, Kenyans would care if the insurance like, guy was late? Kenyans like, are late to everything. I was to the point that I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm making a hard effort here to remain calm in this situation. And, um, yeah, my perspective was way off. Yeah, I mean, in comparison to them, I mean, they live in a, a tin hut and they poop in a grocery bag and yeah. throw it in the river. So, tell me about your trip. I mean, what did you what what was what was something that was impactful? What did you like about it? What did you freaking hate about it? I'd tell me about I'd your say trip. There's more things that I freaking hated about it than liked about it. That's not a good area. It's not. It's not it's weird. Like I'm a weird person. And so I sort of looked at that as like a vacation. I was gaining experience and experience in a new thing. It wasn't relaxing, but it was something different than I'm used to. And I look at that as more, more so of a vacation in a sense. Um, on the last day I told Bryson that I wanted to walk down into the slum cause we had drove by the slum and we could sit up in the compound and look off all over the wall and see it. But I wanted to actually go down and see it like oh, I wanted to be in it up close and seeing the conditions I know we walked down we dropped off the side of the road and dropped down a little dirt road and once we got to the bottom we were right next to what they call the Nairobi River it's literally just sewage that's got every piece of garbage you can imagine in it you yep. can't even see the water and there was kids that had basically moved moved some of the garbage away and we're out there kicking like a bottle or a can or something there was dogs over next to them eating the garbage and i said like, this is literally what they have to look forward to every day is they're going to go play in this garbage and then back to like 
uh, how serious they take stealing, that's because they have nothing. So for them to get a cell phone, I mean, they're living on less than a dollar a day, basically no opportunities, and they have to work to find opportunities. It's not like they go stand on the side of a road and hold a cardboard sign that says, give me money. I mean, they have to work to make a dollar. And so anything they have is literally their life savings to get that one thing. So for somebody to come in and take that from them, yeah, I, mean, I would take it serious too. And they, like, they've just got such little hope and such little j- things to find joy in, and somehow they still manage to smile and, and welcome. You know, we had guys, they were down there on the boat of boat drivers, and they wanted me to take their picture. You know, they got Bryson in the picture and the dog, and they were just finding just that small thing just to have their picture taken. They would never see the picture. And just that small thing, it was enough to make them smile. You know, they, they were happy about it, just that somebody wanted to stop and take their picture. Mm. Man. So, Bryson, you've built all these. I mean, you've. I, I know you've built relationships there. You've. Um, you've been there for a, a while now, and you're getting ready to transition. Uh, talk to me about that, because that's that's a big deal. I mean, that's got to be tough. I imagine. I mean, how are you handling that? Yeah, man, it's definitely tough um, walking away from some of the relationships that I do have there. Like two of my best friends in the world are are living in that compound that I was living in. Going back to what we were talking about a, a minute ago about feeling lonely, man, there was a night where the Kenya president had just been elected. And here we think we get mad whenever the right guy don't get in. And whenever the, the president was elected and the people in the slum – realize that the person they voted for didn't get elected, they riot. And when they riot, it's a real riot. It's not, let me go throw a brick through a car window. And 10,000 angry Kenyans come marching on the other side of our wall. We're burning cars. We're killing people. We're throwing rocks, stoning people, dragging people out of their cars. And that night, my baby spiked a fever of 104, and we had to go to the hospital. We had to go out in that. Mm. We went to load up in the car. And when we got in the car, man, I, I was I was scared, man. I was praying. I was like, God, you called me here and you got me in this. And this is this is where it's led me. I was like, I'm trusting you right now. Like this is on you. And those two guys came and climbed in the back seat of my car and they said, We're going with you. Knowing. Your two buddies. Yeah. 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 Climbed in the car with this man. Like knowing there's a very good chance that we could either be killed tonight or have to kill somebody. Like, there's a very good chance. Yeah. And there's are they ten, Kenyan? They are. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, I mean, that was a moment where I was like, I'm not alone. I can, I can sit here and feel sorry for myself and feel alone out here because I don't have American buddies. But, like, I'm not alone. And, like, those are some of my best friends in the world, man. Someone that will get in the car just to go to the hospital with you. Like, they couldn't contribute. I'm going to the hospital either way. Yeah. But like, we're we're here with you through this and they went with me man and it was awesome it was like god parted the red sea we didn't see a single person when i say ten thousand people i mean ten thousand it wasn't just a, a big crowd it was ten thousand people rioting and when we pulled out of the compound the road cleared and we drove straight to the hospital <laughs> but walking away from that man that's tough but like i said i've always been a person to where i'm gonna do what i feel like i'm supposed to do and I'm not going to just do something because you're passionate about it. 
And we, we went to Kenya on an internship with our organization. You have to serve a year in the field before you're considered a, a career missionary. And this is our internship. And I really thought that we would spend probably the next four or five years in Kenya. I really, really did. I mean, we set up there, man. I've got a home gym and my little my little two bedroom apartment. We've got we've got some decently nice furniture there. I've got my dog over there. Like I was setting up to live there. And God just started dealing with me a couple of months ago. And like I said from the start, man, my call is the Great Commission. Yeah. And I just going over there, I really realized some weaknesses that I didn't know that I had. And I found some strengths that I didn't know that I had. And I realized that over there, I had started the not only the kids' ministry on Saturday, but almost identical. The same thing happened with our men's ministry. We grew we grew from being 13 guys meeting in a little bitty guard shack smaller than this room to being 125 guys meeting every Tuesday to break bread together and to, to have a devotion. Like mm. grown men coming, coming away from their jobs. Like he said, they live off of a, less than a dollar a day, and those guys in peak hours of work would bring their motorcycles inside just to hear the devotion and, and have a bite to eat. And this is your opportunity. These these are your opportunities to teach them scripture, right? Is yes. that your main focus Absolutely. is teaching them? Absolutely. Like, okay. So like Gage said, bringing, in, bringing people to his page to maybe get educated on how to conceal carry and then giving them the gospel. I'm just going to feed you. And while you're here eating, I'm going to share a short, quick devotion. Yeah. Like less than 10 minutes, but it's mm-hmm. enough to, I mean, we've seen people that were alcoholics, like not even touching alcohol anymore, coming in the compound, having a job, like getting their life together from this, this small ministry. Seeing guys, I was, one of my buddies that rode with us to the compound through that ministry, we put a Bible on it in his hand for the first time. He had never owned a Bible and he prayed out loud for the first time and was so excited about it. Like to see a grown man say, I just prayed out loud for the first time yeah. and be excited about it. I mean, you don't see that here. No. So that. To walk away from that is difficult, but I realized that, that God has given me the gift to to start things and not not be a part of things that are already going on. Mm-hmm. And I have a gift in in small group settings to connect with people. I can read the room very well. I can I can find common ground with just about anyone to connect with them and make them feel apart. And I I feel like God has given me a gift of of discipleship and pushing people in their calling. So, man, God gave us a vision. It's funny we're talking about Francis Chan. Francis Chan, years ago, he started a house church, and when they outgrew that house church, they planted a second one. And then their plan was to never go into a big corporate church building. They ended up doing it, and then he walked away from it. But I I think he was on the right path, man. I think that he had something figured out that we don't have figured out. Because doing it that way, it never becomes about money. And I think that's why I've been able to be so successful in the mission field. Because if I reach two people or if I reach 2,000, my salary's not affected. Mm-hmm. I live off of $1,200 a month regardless. Like, that's just... So, I think if you if we go over to South Africa, we plant a house church. And then, like I said, we outgrow the house, we plant a second one. And maybe come together for a corporate service like once a quarter. But when we get the method of these house churches and how to do church with maybe four or five guys or four or five people in a home secretly, quietly, then we can take it into countries like Somalia, South Sudan, Congo, the the Western Sahara, places where Christianity is literally 0%. They're 100% Islamic countries. We I'm getting my pilot's license while I'm down there. I want to bring teams from the States, teams from these house churches 
fly in, teach these guys the blueprint of how to do underground church in your home and fly back out. And I think that's how we fulfill the Great Commission. That's mm-hmm. how we reach every single ear. Mm-hmm. We It don't have to be broadcast on TVs and over the radio and all over everything. Yeah. But if we can... Man, the people that you're reaching don't have access to that anyways. Exactly. If we can get revival to start in the homes amongst the men... That's how you reach. The, that's how you fulfill the Great Commission. Someone asked me, "How are you going to reach all these kids that are being sold into sex slavery?" Into sex slavery. So I don't have to reach the kids. I just have to reach the men that are buying them. Mm. If I reach 120 girls who have been sold, it'll take me a long time. If I can reach the man who's buying them, I just reach 121 people. Yep. Yep. That's that's what it's about, man. I feel like we've just missed it. Like we're just missing it. And it's because so many people, since I've had this vision and this dream, and I know it's from God, I know it is. It's biblical. So many people have told me, don't don't miss it thinking that house church is it. Eventually you need to go into a bigger church because people won't support just house churches. Why are you never wanting to go to a real church? That's what they get, real church, real church. And then we, we hosted a missions team from the States, and we had a service in a living room with like 10 adults. I played guitar. My wife sang. Holy Spirit moved, man. People were praying. People were being delivered from addiction, like just healing. Awesome time, like just with the Lord. And at the end of it, one of the guys leaned back in his chair, and it was just like the nail in the coffin that God was telling me, you're on the right path. Dude leaned back in his chair, and he said, man, why does this feel so much more like real church than church? And God said, because it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I say it's biblical because uh, that is the that is the initial model that is presented of the the body of Christ in Acts, right? That's the that's the model, man. We we don't we don't have any biblical models of of church con- services and congregations and, and gatherings. We don't have the any examples in scripture of the model that we use here in the States. And the model that we use here in the States is failing. Well, half the reason is because there's people aren't willing to step up and host it in their dang home. There's one guy who's willing to get up in front of people and talk. Well, yeah. And everybody says, Oh well, heck, he's willing to do it. Let's all just go yeah. listen to him. I ain't got to do nothing. Oh yeah, the res- the the res- the responsibility is on us. Yeah, absolutely. I think the problem is, man. That's I think I believe that everyone has has been given gifts by God, whether it's evangelism or or preaching or teaching or, or serving. We've got a guy in our church, man. No one knows why he's on staff, but whenever he's not there, you know he's not there because he does everything that's needed. Like the moment that he's that he's not there, you know he's missing. He has the gift of serving. Mm-hmm. And then what happens in the in the church, the westernized church, is people will show up on a Sunday and 2,000 people will gather in one building and watch one man act in his gift. Yeah. But just like us sitting around right here, all, all four of us have had something to say. But there's a good chance we go to any given church this Sunday and all four of us will sit on the pew dead silent. Yeah, yep. not one of us will speak. But when are you getting a small, intimate thing like this? We could all go. We could have all been going to church. There's people in my church right now that don't that I haven't shared what I've shared with you guys right mm-hmm. now because it's just us sitting here. We go backpacking, and we'll go on backpacking trips. And guys that that don't talk about anything will pour their whole childhood out and all the trauma they've been through. 
Because when you get in those small, intimate settings with all the distractions away, and it's just us right here in this moment, that's whenever real crap takes place. Yeah. And I think we, I think we're missing it, man. I think we're missing it. And I think the idea that we need to go into Islamic countries and build a huge temple that can hold 2,000 people and can blast worship music out the doors every single Sunday is what makes us think that it's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission in this generation. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you completely. Man, that's some good stuff. It just got it's just got my uh my brain turning on uh on the way it all works and when when you so when do you when are you planning to head out and start that? I mean, I know you don't have a definitive date yet, but like what's the first step in in making that transition to South Africa and and working this model down there? So our original plan was to come back uh, come back here for Christmas. We were going to go for a to to check out the area, find a place to live in January. We we're going to be going for um, from January until May. We're going to come back for the summer. I'm hosting a conference this summer to help young missionaries get started in mission work, and then we were going to go back and move in August. All that kind of got thrown into a wrench whenever my we found out my wife is pregnant with our second child. Um, she had complications with our last one. She had COVID preeclampsia. He was born like three months early. Uh, and then we've had a little bit of complications with this pregnancy already. So we're waiting to hear from our doctors what the plan is and, and what this pregnancy is going to look like. Uh, if if they want to keep an eye on her, which we think they probably are, we're probably just going to stay here for the whole pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We'll probably go to South Africa for about a month in like January, February. And again, just check out the area, get an idea of where we're going to look for a house, tour the pilot school that I'm about to start learning how to fly bush planes in, and then we'll move back um, after the baby's six months old, so like January of next year. So about a year from about a year from now, we would move to South Africa full-time. Uh, but I'll be bouncing over to, over to South Africa and Kenya a couple times this coming year. Okay. Man, what an extreme amount of sacrifice your life, your, your calling takes, man. I, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes and think – Man, if I was if the place that I'm in right now, and I don't even have children, if I thought I was about to have to go and do a a recon of South Africa in order to figure out a place for me to live, because a year from now I'm going to be living there, like holy crap, man, your life is just completely different than mine. I mean, like it's just that's that's next level. That is next level. Um, Honestly, tangible sac. I mean, it's tangible sacrifice. Like I'm, the I'm cost not, of discipleship. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I, I, and and I'm not trying to compare. I'm not supposed to be doing what yeah, you absolutely. do. Like I, I I understand that, but it doesn't hurt for me to put myself in your shoes. You know what I mean? But man, honestly, like if you if you, I asked myself this while I was in Kenya one day. I was like, if I was a millionaire, if I was if I was a billionaire, what would I be doing? I'd be traveling the world and trying to help people. Yeah. What do I do, man? I travel the world. I've seen some of the most beautiful places in the entire world. My one-year-old has experienced more than half the people in America. Yeah. Like, he's seen wild lions. He's seen, you know, beautiful waterfalls. He's seen the landscape of Africa. Like, 
I'm I'm living my dream. I'm just doing it on someone else's dime. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to go in and and help orphans. People save up all year long to go on a week long trip somewhere overseas and, and go to a compound or an orphanage and help kids. I live that out every single day, man. Like so, people say it's a sacrifice, yeah. and like it is. I'm not. It's hard, man. It's hard. My when we moved over there, my wife cried one day because our clothes were wet in the drawer because we bought a new dresser and it wasn't done done sitting and drying out and our clothes i mean there was one day our, our floor was wet for a week i've went two weeks without water i've went months without hot water electricity goes out have malaria like crazy stuff yeah but man i'm literally i'm living the dream that god gave me when i was 10 years old yeah 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 which that's just it just goes back it just goes to to point out that y- you are specifically set apart for this this task and purpose within the body of Christ man that to to hear you say that just highlights the, the fact um so where uh I want to know I want you guys to put out where can people that listen to this um find you and more about what what you've got going on and and can follow you, support you, all that good stuff. Start with uh, Bryson. Yeah, so Instagram is always a good place to connect. The Hippie Missionaries, my. I don't, my I don't know why I don't follow you on Instagram. What a punk. Yeah. What a punk. That's he's turd. a turd. A turd. What the heck, man? All right, what is but it? The the Hippie Missionary. Uh, that's my Instagram. And on Facebook, obviously, just Bryson Grizzle. I, I, my Facebook following is a lot better than my my Instagram, uh, YouTube. Also, the Hippie Missionary. I vlogged every single week our past year in Africa, so there's some really cool videos on there. Um, starting a podcast, Hitchhike Hello, helping people find their dreams, their calling, and their purpose. It's uh, in the works. Just ordered all the equipment. Just got to get some studio set up. But yeah, and then also our our missionary thing to make sure we're legit you can go to church of god world missions search bryson grizzle and uh there's a link there with our profile on there shows that we're legit that we're with the organization you can donate there uh every single penny that is donated on our giving link goes straight to us and we can't access that until we show what we're spending the money on so you can't yeah you told me about that yeah yesterday yeah (laughs) yes i mean if you send me 500 bucks and say i want you to buy soccer balls for kids in kenya then I will access that money whenever I've found $500 worth of soccer balls. I've already bought them, and I can show a receipt that I bought them, and then they'll reimburse me. Wow. So, And it's all tax deductible. Huh. <laughs> Man. Gage? Uh, mine's not that long. Um, Instagram, grizzle31, G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E-3-1. That's pretty much it. <laughs> And, guy, uh, and guys, if you're listening, I will attach all of these. Uh, I'll attach both those Instagram handles, websites, and all that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. So a lot of you guys don't know that if you just click on the episode, there's a whole thing underneath that I put in on every episode that contains this information so that you don't have to keep it in your brain. It's called show notes. So that'll all be there. Man, y'all go follow uh, Gage and Bryson. They're good freaking people. I vouch for them. 
Um, heck, man, we've hunted together. We've hung out. We've sat here and had a two, two and yeah, over two hour long conversation. These are good people, man. And uh, I'm thankful that you guys came into my life, dude. I'm thankful for what y'all do. And uh, I hope that's some. I hope it's some encouragement to you because uh, you, you guys are the real freaking deal, man. And that that is difficult to find <laughs> in day to day life. Yep. Um, Blake, you got anything? No, I mean, just thank y'all for taking the time out of your your life to come out here and share what God's put on your heart. And I have confidence it'll go out and help a lot of people. Gage, you want to speak some more words on here? No, I think I'm good. I, I, I'm <laughs> one of those people I speak when I'm spoken to and only if I feel like it's important to speak. I don't speak nonsense. So I, I feel like I've said all I need to say. Bryson... Uh, if you need a new co-host on your podcast, I don't suggest uh, <laughs> Gage because he'll do Gage the, got he'll similar do the, word counts. He'll do the same thing to you that Blake does to me on go. this podcast. You you know, I'm not gonna lie, I felt kind of bad over the weekend. Or oh, it's not even the weekend. It's a it's a three day trip. I was like, man, Gage is supposed to be the one coming up here, but I feel like I'm talking a lot. That's but always, of, you're always the one talking a lot. Yeah, but I mean, you would speak, and then he'd just sit there, and well, someone needs to say something, so I guess it better be me. <laughs> Blake, does, dude, Blake does that to me all the time. We'll be, you know, we'll, I, I'll be talking on the show, and, of course, he they rag me all the time because they say I talk a lot, and I'm like, that's the purpose of a freaking <laughs> podcast. <laughs> if somebody, Yeah, this is audio. If somebody's not talking... Then we're not having a podcast, and I'll and I'll have to take a little pause or something, maybe to look something up or move on to the next topic, right? And I'll be like, "What? What do you got, Blake?" He'll be like, "Nothing." <laughs> so then we'll just sit in silence until I, I'm ready to to move on. What well, What are you looking up over there, Blake? I, I probably won't find it quick enough, but there's some verses, and I don't remember them exactly, but the Bible's pretty clear about. The one who talks a lot sins a lot, so I try to limit my words back a little bit. Well, it, it also says you will know a fool by his many words. Um, we're screwed. Yeah, we're screwed, man. So, I, But I think everybody that follows 307 Project knows who the wise one in this operation is. It's funny, when we do YouTube videos on guns and stuff, I'm the one on the camera, but I'm sitting here asking my cameraman about the gun. And everybody sees it. You're just like, a pretty face. Yeah, yeah. I'm just the guy <laughs> with the beard on the on the camera, and I'm like, Blake, what what is this gun we're reviewing out here today again? I just know it goes bang. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that, man. Um, all right, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and I hope y'all have a awesome Christmas time. Show some grace. Remember, we talked about grace. Show some grace to um, people who are late. People who are late. Amen. Like Amen to that. Show some grace to uh, people who have different political opinions than you uh, within your family. And, and uh, show some grace to the people who don't know how to cook or, you know, that are responsible for cooking and they buy a freaking $2 turkey from the food depot. <laughs> and cook it and then you realize you're eating food that's sold for 
five cents per pound. And you're like, how is this? What did they feed this bird I'm eating? That's a Kenyan turkey. To be able to sell this (laughs) bird for five cents a pound, what did they feed this bird? They fed it other turkeys crap. (laughs) This turkey you're eating was sustained off of the crap of other turkeys. (laughs) That's the only way it's possible. Wrap this thing up, man. (laughs) Enough said.